Hi, my name is Ian Khan, and I'm the author of Cloud Wars, The Internet of Things and the Future of Innovation, Make Me Like You, 21 Steps, and Get Ahead. In this episode, I have some great content lined up. I recently attended the Beacon Branded Content Conference by Stratagen in Toronto and met with the leaders of the content industry today. With hundreds of conversations during the show, it's sometimes hard to remember people, but I wanted to send out a special shout out to the ladies and lunch and hope they are listening to this episode. In today's episode, I speak with three influencers who in their own way are leading content within their industries. I first speak with Robert Rose, the keynote speaker at the Beacon Conference, about his ideology and insights. I then speak with Harry Brisson from Nielsen's Media Lab, and in the end, you will listen to my interview with Catherine Cragwell, Director of Global Innovation at GE Digital. Throughout all these conversations, there's one thing that resonated clearly, and that is the need of branded content within any industry that you play in. Content today, as every presentation uh, resonated, has moved from being a one-off event to being a constantly updating aspect of brands. The example of L'Oreal Canada uh, was very impressive, and it was just one of the exemplary sessions that spoke about how they have changed the way they generate content through a new revolutionary and agile model. And there were many, many greater uh, examples as well. So without any further ado, let's listen to my conversations at the Beacon Conference. Uh, this is Ian Khan at uh, the Beacon Conference in Toronto. And with me, I have Robert, who's the Chief Strategist at the Content Marketing Institute. Robert, thanks for, thanks for being with us. And it's been an exciting morning today. Your session was stellar. A uh, lot of insights about content, how to work with content, and really a lot more information than you know we could anticipate. Uh, tell us, how, how is content driving change within the world as we know today? Well, and first of all, thank you for having me, and thank you for the kind words about the, uh, the keynote. And so, you know, the interesting thing is, I think, one of the things that I think is, is, is so interesting is that in many ways it's not content that's changing, it's that's us having to change the purpose of content. And so one of the things that I'll talk with many brands about is that really when we start thinking about content as a strategic asset in the business, right, so it becomes much more of a function. Right now in many businesses content is kind of everybody's job, everybody has to create content and nobody's strategy, nobody's really responsible for it as a strategic function within the business. No one quibbles with the idea of marketing as a function or accounting as a function or legal as a function because these are all recognized processes. But all of a sudden when we start talking about content as a recognized function in the business, everybody starts to freak out and say, well, I don't even know what that means. And one of the biggest changes that we've seen anyway is this idea that content has to be a strategic process, a centralized process that actually makes sense of the entire brand's really go-to-market strategy because increasingly content is what we are. Content is the way we're creating customer experiences. It is the way we're delivering value that's separate and discreet from our product or service. And it's the way we're persuading, obviously, customers to make a decision in our favor. And so the more that we see change happening where content is being 
de-siloed and being sort of cross-functional in nature is where we're starting to see content be strategic, and that's what's driving the biggest change in enterprise. So, so strategy, value, engagement—these are all uh, keywords, uh, sure. you know, that that come out of uh, your, your, this conversation. So, in terms of how would you define various types of content as we see it today? There's uh, there's blog content, there's print content, video content. How do you see those playing, uh, let's say, playing a role going forward in creating deeper engagement? And this is the real key here, right? Because we all we often and too often, I'd argue start to look at content channel as strategy, right? And so you look at a brand and the way they look and they say, well, what's our blog strategy or what's our print strategy or what's our social strategy? And those aren't strategies. Those are merely channels by which we tell a story or by which we deliver value. And so increasingly what we're seeing the brands that are really succeeding with this do is sort of not organizing around technology or platforms, but rather organizing around the story itself, the content itself, and then ultimately adapting to whatever channel it needs to be on. There's a wonderful corollary here. Just uh, last month, actually, the BBC basically reorganized their entire company around content rather than the channels that it resides on. And so many people looked at that as, well, they're killing radio and they're killing television. It's no, it's not that they're killing radio and television. They're just cre- they're decreasing their need to scale based on platform. So they de- they end the idea of radio as a way to scale or television as a way to scale, and instead start looking at entertainment or news or content purpose, and then adapting to whatever channel needs to be on. Because in an increasingly fragmented world, the channel has to be as flexible as today's media vibe. We have to be able to turn channels on, turn channels off and do this in a, in, in a much more agile way. And so the organization becomes much more around content's purpose in the organization rather than the channel that it resides on. Now, there's absolute focus uh, on, on creating a strategy and solidifying that strategy uh, to be able to actually leverage the channels. Uh, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, when we talk about channels uh, and, and new media and new technology, tech is definitely pay, playing a huge part uh, in creating different types of channels through which you can disseminate this information. Uh, there's platforms such as Meerkat or Periscope uh, that are quite new. How do you see those affecting engagement uh, as a tool uh, to, to, to send out that, uh, that content? Sure. It's... it's it's really no different than what has existed forever. It's just that the actual mechanisms are surfacing and, and sort of desurfacing or submerging faster than ever before, right? So to your point, Meerkat's pretty much gone at this point. It's pretty much Periscope is the way to do that. And of course, Snapchat is, is emerging very, very quickly as even a replacement for um, for you know for Periscope, and then you've got you know Facebook Live Video, and you've got you know basically every new day there seems to be some new method to get our message and our content out in the hands of subscribers, and so it becomes very brand specific, right? Where are your audiences? Where are they consuming content? And where are the optimal places for us to deliver content? I think what is really happening is is that these new methods, as they increasingly democratize the way and ostensibly cheapen the cost of getting into those channels puts an incumbent responsibility on the brand to get really good at them and really fast. And so, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a famous sort of, you know, social sort of media guy, he, he talks about the idea of sort of using all the channels all the time everywhere and sort of seeing what sticks. I'm not sure I buy that, 
as much as I, but I do, what I do buy there is getting proficient at them so that if you choose to make that choice by strategy and by content delivery, then you actually have the ability to do it. You have a proficiency at it. So getting proficient at it, whether you use it or not, getting proficient at it is a good idea. And staying up, you know, basically staying up with what's going on. Uh, Robert, you also have a book. Tell us about it. Oh, well, you're very kind, aren't you? <laughs> it's called Experiences, The Seventh Era of Marketing, and it really speaks to this idea. What Carla Johnson, my co-author, and I talk about is the idea that we are evolving into this new era of marketing. So marketing historically has talked about the five eras of marketing. When you went to university, you learned about the five eras. Moving up into what's called the marketing company era, which really ended in the late 90s and was replaced by many what many will say we're in now, which is the relationship era. And so we would contend that we're actually moving into a new era now as relationships with customers become increasingly more complex and across increasingly more complex channels that the idea now is really about experiences and the idea that we need to be able to create powerful, content-driven, customer-centric experiences that deliver value to customer. This is marketing's new strategic remit, is to be able to create these experiences. And the first half of the book is really hopefully winding everybody up and getting everybody excited about this new era. And the second half is sort of a synthesis of the last five years of work we've done with hundreds of brands across the planet on the best practices and methods they are to sort of reorganizing themselves around this process of creating these experiences. Uh, and where can our listeners and readers uh, grab a copy of your book? Well, you're just like, you know, you're, I'm, you're my favorite guy right now. <laughs> um, it, you can get that at seventheraofmarketing.com, either spelled out or 7th. We were smart that way. So seventheraofmarketing.com is the book website. Uh, so the Content Marketing Institute also has a conference coming up at the end of the year. Uh, it's one of the biggest content events uh, probably uh, in North America or probably the world. Uh, give, us a, give our readers and listeners a, a quick peek into the event, what they can see there and why they should attend. Sure. My partner Joe would tell you it is the largest content event in the planet. Um, and Content Marketing World, which is in September, it'll be the first week of September in Cleveland, Ohio. We're expecting around 5,000 people there this year. Um, and just thought leaders from all over the world. Last year, I think we had you know more than 22 different countries represented in terms of who was coming and more than 70 or 80 different brands that were there presenting their experiences with creating content-driven marketing you know, solutions. And so we've got, as you might expect, hundreds of sessions that are covering everything from better storytelling to measuring content to creating social strategies with content to creating content hubs to all those kinds of things. We've got vertical breakout workshops on the last day. We've got full day workshops on the first day. It's just, and by the way, we have Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick is playing as the, as the entertainment for the first night. So it's just going to be a, a really fun educational. It's our sixth year of doing it. And so we just couldn't be more tickled about it. Robert, thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day and thank you for speaking with us. Thanks again. Oh, thank you for having me. Hi, this is Ian Khan at the Beacon Expo here in Toronto, March 29th. And I am with Harry Brisson, director at Nielsen's Media Lab. Harry, welcome uh, to, to this interview. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here. You had you had some very interesting. Uh, you had an interesting session earlier uh, that was very informative, uh, and in, in very short few minutes, uh, I'm going to ask you a few questions about your presentation and and generally the work that's being done at at Nielsen. Uh, my first question is: What is branded content all about? Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think that branded content is really, I mean, so it's, a, it's still a way of accessing audience, right? And Nielsen, we think about um, uh, sort of our three R framework, which is reach, resonance, and reaction. Um, and as consumers are either not engaging at, with ad-supported media or deliberately uh, intervening um, in that sort of uh, uh, interaction with ad blockers and, and, and other sort of methods, uh, it's important to advertisers to continue to interact with and, and, and sort of engage in conversation with consumers. And so I, I really think it's just sort of a natural step in that process. I, I also think that... Um, just with the the quantity of content that's that's out there today, and with the number of creators that are sort of managing their own, um, you know, content production studios, managing their own series, uh, it seems it seems only natural that why wouldn't they also be managing their monetization strategy as well uh, by by yeah by by managing those interactions. So. Uh there's there's talk of a study that that Nielsen actually there's there's tons of studies you guys have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a specific study where you studied uh, almost four thousand pieces of content. You derived insight out of that. Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, so it's it's rather than a specific study, it's it's more general insights, general best practices that we've established, having reviewed four thousand uh, pieces of content, which is a mix of um, television pilot content. Um, as well as various promos and, and advertising materials related to that content to sort of see what is it, yeah, what is it that's really compelling about content itself. Um, and so what we've been able to do is we, we identified sort of five key themes um, in, in terms of how, yeah, how content creators can avoid some of the most common mistakes. So, you know, we, we always want to avoid checklists because, you know, content, it's a creative process. Um, there will always be exceptions to any rule that we create, but but sort of seeing what we tend to find in terms of uh, problem areas with with different pieces of content. Um, yeah, building off of the work we do with uh, with television content creators to to help them uh, assess their content, make tweaks to make it uh, to improve it, to improve its ability to connect with audiences, and to help uh, television distributors or, or content distributors decide what content to. Uh, to put on the air when there is scarce inventory. So there, today, in, during the conference, during many of the sessions, there's there's a lot of talk about channels. There's a lot of talk about engaging audiences over different channels, social media, television, print, and so on and so forth. Uh, what role do you see channels playing uh, on content today in terms of video, in terms of social? Are there any nuggets that you'd like to share? Hmm. Yeah, channels being like platforms, or is that? Oh, yeah, channels in terms of uh, the actual channels, uh, you know, like video as a channel, or social media as a channel, okay. or print as a channel. Uh, do you see any of them uh, in the next five years uh, being more predominant? And I'm talking more from a, from a perspective of, uh, let's say, platforms like Periscope coming yeah. up uh, from a tech perspective. I mean, so. I really think that we're seeing, the, uh, par- pardon me, a, a couple things. First of all, video content. Um, everything's becoming video. Um, television as a term, right, just means, you know, television across the distance, like telephone is audio across the distance. Television is just visual uh, imagery communicated across a, diff- a distance. And I think everything's becoming television in that sense of the word, where it's, 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 it's sharing visual um, image, moving, um, you know, moving picture content, so to speak. So I, I do think video 
is, is really where a lot of this will be moving, and that's the first one. Interaction is something else that we're, we're, we're going to continue to see more and more um, take place just because, just because, yeah, because of the various engagement levels, um, or j- just the engaging factors that, that uh, an interactive environment will, will create. Um, and then, yeah, virtual reality is something I know we're, we're excited about as well. Um, and we're in the early stages of, of, of understanding how exactly we can and, and will measure uh, the effectiveness of, of those platforms uh, rather sort of as compared to traditional video platforms. Okay. Uh, let me ask you a question about, about more about branded stories. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of content, uh, what do you see is, is predominantly taking over higher engagement is it more branded stories is it just just brands putting up their logo at the end of the video as somebody <laughs> said it before yeah what do you see happening out what's there? a it's a mix it's it's surprising that you know some of the tests we did were just like sponsorships what it was just sort of saying at the end hey uh you know this is brought to you by brand x um so i i, I think that I think that you can make it work in multiple different platforms. It's something that we're still continuing to dig into. Um, to be honest, I know we're, um, we, we presented some preliminary findings from, from a branded content report uh, today, but when we have that fleshed out a bit more, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll, ha- we'll have a stronger point of view in terms of these different ways of engaging. But I, I, I think that they all can work. I don't, I don't think that, um, I mean, some will certainly be better than others, but depending on what the content is, you know, an, an integration isn't always possible. And in that case, if it's the correct audience, having something very, you know, tastefully branded can make sense. Um, something I found very interesting uh, was uh, the, the with with RBC, where they were talking about not including the brand for the first something like twelve episodes. And I think that you know we talked about this idea of a five D framework um, in terms of context, which is uh, delivery. Uh, destination, device, distraction, and decision. And I think the idea of building your destination first and then moving into delivery rather than, you know, yeah, in terms of delivery optimizing, delivery could mean, yeah, just like as many brand mentions as possible, direct integration, you know, maybe even salesy type statements. But but the idea of, of, of sort of uh, delaying gratification so that you can build the destination first and then have a more subtle delivery mechanism that's actually stronger because you invested in destination first. Um, so yeah, that's I think that's something that, that, I'm, that I'm particularly interested in. Okay. Uh, we, we also saw somebody pull up a, a Steve Jobs video uh, <laughs> in which uh, Steve talked about uh, the, the customer experience, yeah. the, the end result. Uh, now, technology is a huge part of, of content marketing or marketing or, let's say, engagement in general today. It's, and it's becoming a huge, huge part uh, of how we're engaging with audiences. Uh, do you have any insights into how technology uh, is going to continue driving uh, engagement or uh, how will it get better uh, or easier for marketers? Yeah, I mean, I think that... As the technology improves, and that's going to be both, you know, processing speed, which is helping things like VR, and and also uh, just internet speed, which will make all of these experiences like having a you know a full video, um, like a, a fully video compatible internet that's that's never you know never having to worry about buffering those sorts of things. Like I think it really does improve the overall experience. So I think, yeah, just. The, improving the the speed of internet um, 
will have really positive effects just because it, yeah, the internet enables everyone to communicate with everyone, uh, but specifically for, for advertisers, I think once video content can be delivered uh, almost instantly. And then moving into more immersive kinds of experiences, um, yeah, I, I think it just in, increases what's possible. Uh, last question. Um, in, and I recently read uh, somewhere that one of the larger uh, media companies is, is soon to launch a 4K uh, streaming video platform, which is, which is amazing, which, which kind of uh, uh, adds on to your comment about technology and how Internet is being able to power uh, whatever creators and digital strategies are, are creating. Now, in terms of breaking... Uh, breaking down the barriers uh, across geographical barriers, language barriers, mm -hmm. uh, and we heard a few a few comments about uh, China, uh, mm -hmm. Spanish, French languages earlier. Uh, how do you feel uh, that are we doing? Uh, is is content being uh, pushed out uh, worldwide equally, or do you think it's it's more uh, more so in in North America? What, what's your global perspective on on content? Uh, because you know some places don't even have internet. Uh, so how do you see that panning out? Look at audiences in China uh, or India, which is yeah. they have a huge, huge uh, internet user base. Uh, what do you think when those markets completely open up with, with, with high bandwidth internet, what will that do to consumerism and brands? Yeah, I mean, I think what's so exciting about the way content is distributed these days yeah. is that everyone... Everyone isn't just a consumer, but they but they are a publisher. Almost everyone who uses the platforms are. So as, as soon as you know the opportunity, the technology is there. There will be content, um, and it, it's exciting to think that, that that there will be opportunities for people to be, become the 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 mainstream um, or at least most popular creators on those different channels. So I I don't think I, I think that one of the things that's yeah just excellent about the way the the distribution system or the distribution platform system has been created is that everyone's a yeah everyone's a creator so there will always be some sort of content um, I you know in, in terms of the quantity of content that's that, that exists across geographies I wouldn't be surprised if um, if I guess North America has has a bit more investment in it um, from North American based brands but um, yeah, I mean, just the ease of creation leads me to believe that it's 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 strong. It, it, it I would expect it to be strong in all geographies. I'd be interested to look at you know specific numbers for it, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the fundamentals are there, and and yeah, just ease of creation. Excellent. Thank you so much, Harry. Thank you for spending Thank time you. with us. We hope you had a great conference, and uh, we'll probably see you here uh, shortly, maybe next year. Yep. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. I'm here with Katrina Craigwell, Global Director, Marketing Innovation at GE Digital. Welcome, Katrina. Thank you. So, as we can see at the conference today, it's all about content. It's all about that uh, creating that engagement that sticks. It's about uh, strategizing and not just the channels necessarily. Tell us how your role at GE Digital 
addresses the needs of your customers in terms of content? You know, I think the the focus on content is is really a reflection of behaving in a way that reflects how humans behave on the internet and the tools that we use as individuals to connect with each other, to find information, to share information, to entertain, to inspire. And, um, you know, we know that uh, when we speak to our customers, when we speak to the market, that content gives us an opportunity to, A, show who we are, to communicate our value proposition, to communicate our solutions. And we also know that customers and, and, you know, folks on the web are completing their journey up to 50 to 80 percent, depends who you ask, um, on their own before that you as a company uh, or as a sales team get to engage with them in in whatever way that you do. And so it's incumbent upon us to make sure that we are, uh, A, staying smart and knowing our audience and understanding what their needs are and and what information they're looking for, and then B, doing a a really um, clear job of focusing on how do we present those answers. If, If those solutions are what we're about, how do we put that into content and make it available for them when they need it, where they need it, and in the easiest way possible? Uh, that's very well said. Uh, and I, I'm sure within, within your region, within your role uh, at GE and uh, in your career, you must have seen uh, a change within how uh, we address content in the first place. How do you think over the past few years, uh, considering that technology and content marketing is evolving at a very fast pace, uh, in the past few years has content marketing really evolved? You know, I think that more than ever, um, good content comes from anywhere. And it's, you know, it's not just the establishments who we look up to, like the New York Times um, or, you know, the individuals that we follow, but it's really anyone who is telling, uh, you know, a factually correct, inspiring, compelling, educational story. And so I think, you know, that being said, brands have to think like programmers, whether we are a media brand or whether we're a B2B brand selling software solutions or industrial technology. And start to think of every touch point that your audience has with your content as part of your brand experience. And there's a couple things that you need to do in addition to your standard uh, your standard uh, mandate as a business, consistency of message and driving business outcomes. You also need to build a, a level of consistency, uh, relevancy, and quality in the content experience that you're putting forward for your audience, which is really becoming the brand experience. And that's a bit of a shift. Now, two key words that that, that kind of have resonated or perhaps you will speak about uh, in your upcoming session at the end of the day, uh, the closing keynote, uh, are transparency and authenticity. What role do you see these two playing in content strategy today? I think they're they're critical. They're critical in business strategy. They have to be present in content strategy. I think that, you know, first of all, so oftentimes we'll have conversations where we'll sit down and, and um, you know, someone will say, oh, we have to reach millennials. Why do you have to reach millennials? What is your product? What is your proposition? What is the need that you're filling? And from there, what do you need to say? And who do you really need to reach? And so that comes down to authenticity. It's staying true in, in your your value prop and your product and your offering, um, understanding what the market's compelled by. And then if you need to change your offering to meet that shift, tangibly making that part of your business strategy and not just your messaging strategy. And so I think that, you know, it, it's a... It's, so, it's funny because someone uh, said in a discussion earlier, there's nowhere to hide anymore. And that's very true. There's, there's nowhere to hide, and quite frankly, there shouldn't be. I think the exciting part is that we, as, you know, as brand marketers and, and leaders more than ever, have the ability to connect with our audience and, and really have a level of authenticity and depth in those connections that we haven't necessarily been able to before. Um, 
I think, you know, in terms of transparency, it, it's, it's the same. You know, people are going to be looking for information on your business, on your company, on, on your product, and they're, they're going to find it whether you show up and tell the story or not. And um, so, you know, the worst thing you can do is not show up. And I think as brands, we have to think responsibly about how we um, tell, you know, tell, tell our story and also be aware of the, the you know, conception, perceptions that may be in the marketplace about our company, about our brand, and, you know, is, what does that reflect and how do we need to, you know, how do we need to respond to that? Uh, so two, two areas within, uh, you know, within, within industry today, uh, definitely content is, uh, we're talking about content, uh, but also let's talk a little bit about technology. Uh, there's rapid developments uh, happening in technology, and I know you're uh, you're personally involved in in virtual reality and, and kind of promoting that, evangelizing that. Uh, to, so to kind of ask you a two-set question, the first one is, uh, what do you think uh, is the role of technology today, uh, and how can it complement, uh, you know, great content marketing? Uh, and then second, tell us more about your virtual reality initiatives and uh, what we can see uh, in the coming future. I'd love to. So I think that, you know, the first question around the role of technology, I actually think that consumer technology uh, is is the guiding force in terms of when when folks ask, you know, how do you stay up to date on platforms, on trends, on behavior, it's driven by consumer tech. So, you know, what do our mobile devices allow us to do? What does connectivity globally allow us, you know, how is it allowing new communities to connect? How does it allow us to reach different different countries entirely? Um, and so you can start to see, you know, the, the, the popularity of video, mobile video, all of those things uh, hinge on the cons- consumer technology allowing for us to deliver high quality uh, uh, video at fast enough speeds that you want to watch on our mobile device. So I actually think that it is the best way to stay up on, on trends. I think, you know, I think when we look at virtual reality, you know, it's about virtual reality, it's about augmented reality, it's about the future of computing. And I think as, you know, humans, we're always going to be on this journey of packing more computing power into smaller devices, having, you know, having those devices move from giant, you know, room-filling machines into things that we hold in our pockets and eventually maybe things that we wear on our body and always bringing that data and that information closer to us as humans and, and our daily activities. And so it is, uh, you know, the, the fun thing about VR is that it's been around for decades, right? It's been around since, I don't know, the 60s. Um, and it hasn't gone away. And when you think of, of it that way, we will, we will never leave this journey of figuring out how to continually bring ourselves closer to our data and into more immersive experiences. When we've looked at VR at, at GE, so we've, you know, we released our first experience at the end of 2014. And yes, VR is, you know, it doesn't have the scale that YouTube has, but if we think about it as the future of computing, it has use cases that are, that are varied. And so, you know, we have produced... Uh, eight or so experiences in the last year. We have a number more in production, and we really started by saying, how do we open our doors at GE? How do we take somebody inside a gas turbine manufacturing facility or inside someone's brain or down to the bottom of the ocean into the areas where GE and our machines and our our customers operate that are hard to reach? Um, And from there, we're also kind of asking ourselves now, well, how does this become a sales tool? How do we let a customer... Uh, be in a room with a machine, pull it apart, look at all the product specs, but instead of doing it on, on a you know, white paper, they're doing it in a room-scale VR experience. 
Uh, what does this mean for training? There's a, a lot of um, study right now going on around how, the effectiveness of training in VR and the fact that it is, in some respects, it is more effective and proving that out. What does it mean for collaboration? When you have engineers in India and Europe and Brazil all working on the same component, if they can do that in a, in a VR environment together, that's huge. And so... This is about VR. It's about the future of computing. And uh, I think we're going to keep on testing out and trying to prove out some of those use cases in, in the next year and, and beyond. So do you, do you when, when do you, and it, the answer could be anything, when do you expect VR to hit uh, commercial reality and it's, it's out there and it's being used in industry by consumers, by, yeah. uh, in the healthcare industry? When do you think that mass adoption is, is likely? I mean, I think it's going to be hard. I, I, you know, the gaming industry, listen, every time we see these headsets come, you know, come out to market, Oculus Rift, sold out. PlayStation VR, sold out. Uh, Samsung Gear, you know, sold out, refilling stock. And so I think that that demand is there. And I think it's, um, you know, it's encouraging to see that as the headsets have come to market, especially in the last six months, that demand has remained. Because it really, I think as, as um, proponents of VR in the community, it's important to kind of talk about the journey and not just talk about are we going to make the numbers in the next six months to, to say that yes it is it is viable I think you know the gaming industry um, the gaming community obvious value prop it's I mean some of these games are bananas they're incredible um, and then I, I think it's going to take time right you're starting to see stories pop up where surgeons are modeling really complex surgeries through Google Cardboard um, and I think what, the important thing is for, um, for healthcare teams, for teams in all industries to keep on doing that, keep on testing out the use cases, and for us to keep talking about it as, as a community. I don't, but I, you know, I wouldn't say that in the next year, yes, there's going to be a VR headset in every home. I think in the next year, they, the, you know, many, many people will have access to a VR headset within their network, and we just need to keep building that way. And you know, there's a place for VR, and then there's a place for AR, and which, you know, which, which one of those is going to tip us over um, has yet to be determined. Is there a place or a website you'd like to point our listeners to? So we're really proud of the content that we produce at, at GE. I think that you can, uh, if you love or are interested in science and technology and how things work, check out our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash GE, our Instagram feed, uh, follow us on Twitter, greports.com, all great sources where we're just trying to, to uh, tell as many awesome science and tech stories as possible. Katrina, thank you so much for your time. We wish you the greatest of luck and, uh, in your endeavors and at GE, uh, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Innovation Times podcast covering tech, IoT, cloud, and everything else.